0: We're in a series on relationships. Mama Charlotte usually sits right behind Jerry and I. And um, she's sitting in the back with uh, her daughter this morning. And uh, I just wanted to mention that last night, I, I flew in yesterday from Africa. And it was a long flight and I didn't sleep much on the plane. So I went to bed early last night. And she left a voice message after I went to sleep and I didn't get it till this morning, but it blessed me so much. And she commented about the series we're in on relationships. We're talking about relationship principles and they're important whether you're single and tend to remain that way for the rest of your life, whether you're married, divorced, whether we're talking about business relationships, whether we're talking about relationships in terms of Friendships, if you want them to be meaningful, these principles can all be applied in their own unique way to those relationships. But Mama Charlotte is 91 years old, and she was commenting about the series and about uh, the principles that are being taught. Andrew did a great job last Sunday, and she was talking about that. And I I just thought, I, I told Jerry this morning, we both listened to her message at the same time as jerry was bringing me to the office earlier today and uh, here to the church and um, i just looked over at jerry and i said if you can't learn from somebody 91 years old when it comes to relationships you're pretty much in a place where you can't learn from anybody if anybody knows anything about relationships it's someone that has lived nine decades on this planet And done so as well as Mama Charlotte has. So Mama Charlotte, wherever you are in the building, I haven't spotted you yet, but we love you and love all of you that are here today. I'm going to say some things I'm going to tell you up front that are probably going to be challenging to a lot of people. And I realize that. I never come to the platform with an intention of calling anybody out throwing anybody under the bus. I don't do stuff like that. And all the years I've been here as your pastor, you've never seen me do that once. But I do have enormous compassion and sympathy for people who have been through brokenness in their lives. And sometimes you have to say some things to help other people not go through brokenness or help people deal with brokenness that are going through it right now. And the truth is, is that people who have ever walked through places in life where they've been damaged want you to do that. They want you to help someone else avoid some of the pain that they have personally had to live with. When you talk about things like being divorced, there are no winners in a divorce. I can tell you after I've been in ministry a long time, Jerry, and I've been married 55 years. And I keep saying that for a reason. I want you to know it is possible. Amen. I realize that in America, one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. I told you a couple of weeks ago in China, it's three out of a thousand. Where marriages are arranged, it's three out of a thousand in China. Now, I said that because I want you to know it's possible for you to, to track through life together with your partner by your side, if you choose to be married. And I also want you to know that if you go through a divorce, it's not the unpardonable sin. I'm saying that up front, even if you caused it. I want to make that clear. I've been in that office and in others, the old location, 53 years in ministry. I've heard some stories and I've seen some brokenness in these years in ministry. And so I would be the last person to want to get up here today and talk from the perspective of ignoring that pain. I've wept with people who have wept and will probably continue to do so. And some of you in the audience that have lived through some things probably still weep over some of what you've been through. Or weep with those who are going through it right now or who shall. I would pray that God would raise up a hedge of protection around every family in this church. A wall of fire that the enemy cannot get through. But the realities are. that Some of us live in situations that are challenging. And I'm going to turn to a passage of scripture and I will tell you in advance. That it's going to be a little bit quiet before I'm done today. And it's not because of the fact that I am trying to add to anyone's sorrow. But rather simply due to the nature of the material I will deal with. We relate to it so well. If we haven't been through it, we came from a family who did. Or our best friend did. Or our brother went through it. Or our sister And I want you to listen to this. It's from Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, beginning. But to the rest, not the rest I... Let me begin once more. To the rest I, not the Lord, say, If a brother or a wife has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now are they holy? Don't worry, I'm going to try to explain that shortly. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. God's called us to peace. I want you to know that your calling, God's called you to live a life that is fulfilling and that is peaceful. The subject I'm going to talk about today is survive and thrive though mismatched spiritually. Survive and thrive, though mismatched spiritually. See, it's getting quiet already. (laughs) Amen. Father God, I first of all want to thank you for your grace and your love. I'm glad for the saving power in Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us. For what you will continue to do for us and others. And I'm asking you to help me to be able to speak on this subject today in a way that will be relatable and helpful. Because I know that just the mention the subject is going to touch someone who's hurting. And make them aware and remind them again of some of the things that they've had to walk through or, or walking through now. Would you give us the ability to receive the word today and let it impact our hearts and help those who need this word? I ask for your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Survive and thrive, though mismatched spiritually. Spiritual mismatches can occur in a marriage and in other relationships as well. You can be mismatched in different ways. All of us have seen this. A relationship can be a mismatch, not only spiritually, it can be a mismatch in terms of temperament and personality. Educationally, culturally, you can be mismatched in a relationship. In fact, I don't have time today to tell you all the ways that a mismatch can occur. There are so many of them. Here are just a few. One person can be really organized. Know anybody like this? Every item in your closet is hanging. The blacks with the black, the blues with the blue, stripes with a stripe, right on down the line. And you choose to marry somebody whose clothes don't even make it to the closet. And they end up on the floor, right? Amen. You can't stand a dirty house. My wife is that way. I used to tease her. We have tile and hardwood floors now. But back in the day when we had carpet in another house we lived in, she would vacuum her way to the door. And I would ask, are you afraid somebody's gonna break in and see footprints on the, the carpet a burglar's gonna find where we walked out leaving footprints in the carpet? And she was, she was adamant. She was gonna vacuum her way out the door. And yet you marry somebody, I'm not saying I'm like that because I'm not, but they leave dirty dishes piled high in the sink all over the cabinets. And on top of the table, when they get ready to eat, they just shove them out of the way and sit down and eat. They they couldn't care less about hygiene. One person can be a, a night person. The other, a day person in a marriage. That's a surefire recipe for trouble right there. One can be a cat person. The other, a dog lover. You know what I'm talking about? And one can be almost from aristocracy and nobility. Somebody else can be raised as a common person, one from wealth, high society, while the other might have been raised without much of this world's goods. Their family didn't have much of this world's goods. They didn't eat either. And, and so they, they don't really know how to manage money so well. And when you think about it, We all have some measure of being mismatched that occurs in our relationships, don't we? Um, Like they say, before marriage, opposites attract. After marriage, opposites attack. (laughs) The mismatch that occurs is a guaranteed and surefire recipe for conflict later on. But the reason we have a measure of mismatch uh, mismatch that occurs in relationships in our, our lives is simply because no two people are alike. No more than any two snowflakes are alike. And we don't see eye to eye with anybody, much less our companions, 100%. And you don't really want them to see eye to eye with you 100% on everything. You need different... Perspectives in life to help you develop a better and more rounded perspective. But all of these differences create challenges. And so people can struggle in a relationship. And it takes effort on both sides to navigate this and work through it. And here's the truth. If people choose to address these challenges and seek to understand each other and work through them, the marriage can actually be stronger than if they saw eye to eye and that is because resistance helps you develop strength when we first moved into this building which hasn't been that long ago we were here a year then two years of covid and y'all remember what that was like well we had all this landscaping that hadn't taken root yet and so all these trees that you see planted outside they planted them And then the first year there was a wind that came and it knocked over several of those trees that grow in the islands. And so the landscaping company had to come and put them back up. And then another wind came, knocked them over again. And so they put them back up again. They drove a stake in the ground. And and Tracy Shockley remembers this well because she also is our facilities manager. And so we thought we had the problem solved. And then there came another wind, only this time came from the opposite direction. So it fell over in the direction where the stake was at. So they had to go back and pick it up and put stakes in around the trees. And we finally got that solved until these things could take root. And resistance that is meant to topple you if you have a firm commitment to each other can actually strengthen that relationship like those stakes driven in the ground. I'm gonna make this work. Statistics actually tell us that 23, at least 23% of all Christian wives admit that they are mismatched spiritually in their marriages. We don't have the statistics available for men, Christian men, but I would bet that would be an interesting survey because my guess is as many men feel that way as, as women do. They're in the same dilemma. And here's what's Interesting about that, God's ideal is that in what is beyond any doubt, beyond any debate, the single most important area of your life, and that is in your relationship with God, God's ideal is that you should be matched spiritually with your companion. You should be matched spiritually. Nothing is as important as your relationship with God. Nothing. Doesn't even come close I mentioned Mama Charlotte being 91 years of age. We actually had a couple in the church years ago at the old location that were 105 and 104 respectively. And they lived a long time. But you know, sooner or later, every one of us are going to come to the end of our life here. And as they say, we're going to shuffle off this coil. And we're going to leave others to carry on the fight behind us. And you know what happens when you get into eternity, you will be there 91 years. And then you're going to be there 91 times 91 years. And then 91 times that. And if for no other reason than this, that you live forever, and here your life is very short, your relationship with God matters more than anything else you've got going on in your life. Amen. But even there, mismatches occur. In our text, the Apostle Paul warns us about this, talks to us about it, gives us advice on how to deal with it. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, he even says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness. And this refers to the Old Testament prohibition in the law of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy 22 and verse 10 where it says you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now there was a reason for this law. It might seem like God is nitpicking here, but he isn't. These two animals have different strides. Their legs are different lengths. Their gait is different. And God cares about even animals. A Christian shouldn't be cruel to anybody. We should reflect the kindness and gentleness of God in every area of our life, even to things like animals. And, and so God way back then said, look, don't put a donkey and an ox in the same yoke and go out to plow or pull a wagon. Because one's going to end up dragging the other because it walks at a different pace. And the other is going to be pulled along and always hurrying and made to feel uncomfortable and it's tough on both of them. And then the Apostle Paul, using that analogy, says, did you know the same thing could happen in a marriage? That you can be mismatched spiritually and one dragging the other and the other one feel like they're being drugged And you can become mismatched in different ways. One way is when someone becomes a believer after they're married. And so both of you are together, you're married, and then one of you gets saved. That's actually probably the context in which Paul was writing this because the church in Corinth had erupted in a great revival and a ton of people were getting saved constantly. And so there were some that came into the church And their wife didn't come. And others, the the wife came and the husband didn't. And so the question arose, what do we do now? We're believers and they aren't. And so it meant that there was going to be strife and struggle in that marriage. And Paul is addressing that. Or maybe you and your spouse both started out as believers and were committed. And then something happened along the way as it sometimes does. And your spouse fell away from Christ and they lost their commitment to God, turned away from the Lord. And now you're in the church, soloing it in the kingdom and trying to make a marriage work at home. And you could also, the third way you can be unequally yoked together is if you and your spouse are both Christians and you're married, but one of you has greater passion for God than the other. And so you're wanting to be at everything and you are wanting you want to go to church on Sunday morning and when we have worship events like we will soon have on a Sunday evening and, and you want to be there on Wednesday night and like everybody should be, that was a shameless plug for Wednesday night if you didn't pick up on that. Do I need to repeat it? Amen. And your companion doesn't want to come and they want to go to the lake on Sunday or whatever and they're living for this life Their passion is not as great as your passion for God is. And Paul talks to us about the realities of this. And he says, first of all, if you're not married, don't marry someone that you're mismatched with spiritually. If you can discern that and avoid it, don't don't do that. You might not pick up on it for the reasons I've just mentioned. Maybe you're both Christians now. And after you get married, all of a sudden, George or Sue don't want to go to church with you anymore. And that's, that's tough. But Paul then says, look, if you're married and then something happens, don't leave the marriage. Just because you're mismatched. This is hugely important. Paul is addressing this because, as I said, you have all these people that came into the church in Corinth and got saved. And now then they're living for God and their companions are complaining. You go to church all the time and I don't want to go to church and I had plans and, and all of this and, and suddenly you, you've got this whole ox and donkey or donkey and ox, whatever the thing is going on at home, not calling anybody names, but you're gated differently. You're moving at a different pace and even worse moving in a different direction. And so some of them were saying, Tell you what, i I'm, this is hard. I'm gonna bail out of this marriage and go find somebody that loves God. Or it may be the one that's not saved that is saying, I'm leaving, I'm done, I'm gonna go find somebody that likes to party like, like I like to party, you know. And and Paul is saying, Don't leave the relationship. You never know what might happen that God might do. God may end up working through you to save your unsaved companion. Now here's what's really a big problem. And that is when both the husband and the wife, neither one have passion for God. And so neither one of you really want to, I mean, you go to church, you're Christians in name, but you're not really living out the life of a believer that's in love with the Lord. And maybe, maybe you haven't discovered yet what the Bible means in the Psalms when it says deep calls unto deep. And what that means is that whenever you get in touch with God, get in covenant with God, and you find that place where you and God connect, there's nothing that comes close to being as satisfying as that is. And and do you know what it, it makes you wanna do? It makes you wanna go deeper still in God. And your companion is sitting back saying, what? What's going on with that? And maybe if you're visiting with us today, you have no idea why people would be so enthusiastic when I made that statement a moment ago. And maybe that's because you haven't discovered this yet. And so maybe your companion has and you're like, I I just don't get it. I'm, I'm not understanding this. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 14. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else, your, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now are, they are holy. And the word sanctified here means set apart for the glory of God. In other words, it refers to something that has value in the eyes of God. You can live your life for God in the home. And what God can do is use your life to sanctify, stir up your husband where he becomes set apart for God's glory and becomes a believer. And your children that otherwise would have been unholy end up serving Christ because your life has an influence on them that they can't get away from. Amen. That's what happened with me. It wasn't my my parents, it was my grandmother that raised me and profoundly impacted my life. So much so that though I said I would never go to church again as as a, a teenager, I ended up going back to church. God had plans for my life. I could not escape the profound influence that she had on me. And you are influencing your family. And so Paul's admonition is stay in there. They'll be lost if you don't amen and so i want to go to the bible because and i want to give you an example of, of where a mismatch occurred and the reason i i want to go to the bible is the bible best illustrates the principles of the bible but before i do i want to say this if you're here and you're not saved and your companion is i want to first of all point out to everybody listen up that many times unbelievers are seriously wonderful, good people and they love their companions. They might not go to church, but it doesn't mean they don't love their companion. Just wanna get that straight right out of the box. But I'm gonna tell you about a worst case scenario about a guy who didn't love his wife. His name was Jacob. The Old Testament story of Jacob and Leah, well, it's interesting to say the least. To begin with, the story of Jacob is one of the most relatable you will find in the Word of God because of his imperfect human nature, and all of us can relate to that. He was far from the ideal person. Even his name meant heel grabber or supplanter or deceiver, is what that means. And that's what he was. It wasn't just his name, it was a pretty apt description prophetically of his character when he was just born. He turned out to be a deceiver, took his brother's birthright, deceived and tricked his own father and then robbed his brother of his father's blessing by going in and saying to his blind father that he was his older brother who was supposed to get the blessing. Turns out he wasn't the best husband either. You read the scripture, you see this. And the reason he wasn't the best husband is because who you are as a person will be reflected in your relationships. And we all know that's true. It is. You take into that relationship who you are. And like they say, no matter where you are, there you are. Amen. (laughs) Jacob is conflicted. He's a classic example of someone who has a destiny and a call of God upon his life. But he struggles because his own nature keeps getting in the way. Then he marries a woman named Leah. I'll tell you how that came about in a moment. She's the first woman he married. He was married to two ladies that were sisters at the same time. Leah was the older sister of Rachel. Rachel was the woman Jacob really loved. Their dad, the dad of Rachel and Leah, tricked Jacob into marrying Leah first. And when the wedding was over, then Jacob married Rachel. I've always felt enormous sadness for Leah when I read her story in the book of Genesis. Her story is one of terrible pain and loneliness. You cannot read what she went through without feeling compassion and sympathy and even sorrow for her. She lived her life in the shadow of her younger sister. Here's what's amazing. There are many Jewish scholars, rabbinical scholars who say that, that Leah and Rachel were twin sisters. And that something was wrong with Leah's eyes. And that's what made her unattractive. But Rachel was a knockout. They were, they were twins outside of that. And here's the story. Jacob met Rachel first. Fell head over heels in love with her. Agreed to work for her father for seven years without a salary to pay the dowry price to marry her. And then on the wedding night, only thing I can figure, guys, is that he got so wasted he didn't even know who he stumbled into the tent with after the wedding was over. I'm serious. And the next morning wakes up and it's Leah in the bed instead of Rachel. I mean, I don't know. Just me talking. I think I would have figured that out before the sun came up the next morning. But he didn't. And the next morning he wakes up. There's Leah. And he says, what have you done? to Laban, the father of these girls. And he said, it's okay. Our culture, the the older sister has to marry first. And so serve seven more years without a salary and, and you can marry Rachel. And so he did. Leah spent a good portion of her life feeling rejected and unloved. The spare tire in the relationship. She didn't feel cherished. And the Bible, I love this about the Bible, it doesn't hide the shortcomings of Jacob. It doesn't pretend that he was okay when he was really a scallywag. It shows us the entire journey that Jacob took from where he was as a trickster and a deceiver all the way through to where God transformed his life. He is one of the single most important figures in the Old Testament. We speak of Jacob in this way, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And the reason I love this about the Bible and that it reveals this about him is because it tells me something about the grace of God that's at work in all of our lives. Because none of us, none of us have stamped on us perfect yet. Amen. We're all imperfect. And Jacob, in spite of being far from perfect was I mean, he was he was a mess as a husband. And God had plans for them in spite of that. In fact, God ended up impacting the world through Jacob and Leah of the 12 sons that Jacob had that became the leaders of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, two of the most prominent of them were Leah's sons. Both Judah and Levi were born to Leah, not to Rachel, because Rachel was barren for a long time. And Judah was born, and his name means praise, and he was of the tribe that Christ came from he started and founded that tribe it was named after him and hinted at in his name even way back then is the fact that if you need supernatural help if you will just worship God the Messiah will show up Christ came through the tribe of Judah And look, what you need to do when you get in trouble is not sit there and clam up. It's show up and worship. And if you will do that, God will come on the scene for you. Amen. Amen. Levi was the other prominent son. They were all prominent, but especially these two. And from Levi descended the, the tribe of the priest. The high priest was a Levite. And Christ was in typology. He was the high priest forever which is what this office was the high priest a Levite and only Christ was a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek and as the high priest this son of Levi served as the representative of Israel to God and God to Israel now I mention that because in spite of there being a mismatch God used this marriage to impact the world And some of you feel like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm struggling. And I want to tell you, God hasn't given up. And that's why Paul says, don't you give up either. And because God can cause incredible things to happen. Can somebody say, amen. I'm preaching better and you're responding as I have been known to say from time to time. Amen. But... Leah kept trying to earn her husband's affection and she failed. She thought by having kids, her sister Rachel couldn't have any. She thought, I'll win my husband's devotion. I'm going to give him many sons. And in Genesis 29 and 32, look, listen to this. So Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on me in my affliction. What affliction was that? The affliction caused by her husband and his mistreatment, and his lack of showing her value and love. And then she said, since I've given him this son, Reuben, now therefore my husband will love me. She thought she could earn her husband's love, but but she never did. And here's the good news, is that somewhere along the way, she got tired of standing on tiptoes. And she found in God the fulfillment and the happiness that she wasn't getting from her husband. And she had this when she had her son, uh, Judah. And in Genesis 29 and 35, the scripture says she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. I'm not going to live on tiptoes anymore. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And she stopped trying to earn the affection of a man that wouldn't give it to her. And she gave that to God. And you know what? What? she found in god the fulfillment that had been missing her entire life and this is important because i see families all of the time where the spouse is saying my husband doesn't give me fulfillment or the wife is is or the husband is saying my wife doesn't fulfill me And you know, here's the truth. There is not another human being on the face of the planet that can feel that emptiness that only God can feel that is inside of you. And you shouldn't try to make somebody feel that emptiness for you. They can't. You're going to have to turn to God someday if you're going to find the sense of completion that you need in your life. Amen. It's unfair to a husband or to a wife. To expect them to fulfill you when they can't—they can't. They can, they're, they're, it's not humanly possible. They're only a human being, and only God can go beyond that to really feel the emptiness created because you were born in His likeness and in His image. And until you connect with Him, you'll never be content in life. Period. And so she watched as Jacob was transformed. She reached a place of contentment in her relationship with God. And she watched as Jacob went from being the heel grabber, the deceiver, to a place where finally, you know what happened? Even God said, he's changed so much, I'm changing his name. And changed his name from Jacob to Israel because the word Israel means prince. And God says, like a prince, you have power with me and with man. Now, mismatches don't just occur in marriage but they occur in other relationships. I've seen mismatches between parents and their kids. Kids don't want to go to church and parents are foolish enough to say, I'm going to go to church and y'all stay home. You don't do that on Monday morning when it's time for them to go to school, do you? I'm going to go to work and let you stay home because you don't want to go to school. And after all, I don't want to force it on you. Oh, heaven forbid. You better force it on them. They will come knock at your door if you don't send them to school. The authorities will because they realize that there is a need for education in your child's life if they're ever going to be competitive in their career and in their future. I want to tell you what else is needed. They need God in their life because someday they're going to have a wife or a, a, a husband and they're going to have children and they need to know how to raise their family. In the fear of God. Mismatches can occur between co-workers and business partners. And a host of other relationships. And I'm just about done. But as I finish right now. How do you make a relationship work that is mismatched spiritually? Because they're all over this building today. One of those three things that I just mentioned. A while ago. As to how you can become mismatched. I bet you know somebody not far from where you're sitting that is in a mismatched relationship, and I'm not calling anybody out. I wanna teach you how to live with that. I wanna teach you how to make the most of it. I want you to be able to make it productive and stop the stressing and, and the, the pain and help you understand God sees you. Number one, learn to live out your faith in a way that attracts instead of pushes your spouse away. Sometimes in our effort to get our companion saved, you can actually push him away. Listen to what Peter said. 1 Peter 3, 1-2 In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. And they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Peter says you can win an unsaved companion to God by living in such a way in the home that they cannot help but admire your relationship with God. They can see a level of contentment and peace that they're missing. They can see in spite of challenges, they can see that you got it together in the middle of the storm and they're about to pull their hair out by the roots. And you know, but you're strangely unaffected and you're assuring them, don't worry, husband, Don't worry, wife, I've prayed about it. God's got this, he's got our back. And that compels them. And they might even get angry and say, what are you talking about? I don't even believe in God. Well, just hang on because I do. Amen. You let your joy and peace overflow in the home. Amen. And when I say live out your faith in a way that attracts instead of repels, that means don't be judgmental. You know, it's Sunday morning. I bet you going fishing again, aren't you? You know, don't be judgmental. You, you get my point here. Number two, focus your attention on your Savior rather than on your challenges and disappointments or how unfair things are. Turn your attention to God like Leah did. Find the measure that is not being supplied in giving you value In your relationship at home. Find that in God. Because this is what God says. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him. Would not perish but have everlasting life. When Leah stopped trying to pressure Jacob. Into loving her. He loved her. And by the way. Don't fall into the trap of blaming everything on them. Because they aren't a Christian. Well if you'd get saved. You would have kept your job. I was praying, but you don't ever pray. You know what I'm talking about? Don't do all that stuff. And another thing, don't fall into the trap of of having self-pity. Anybody in the, no, don't raise your hand, (laughs) amen. Anybody in this building ever have a pity party? You send out all these invitations, how many folks show up for your pity party? Nada. Nobody wants to be at your pity party. Doesn't work, doesn't change anything. Number three, here's one, listen up. Stop trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. You're not God. You weren't yesterday. You're not today. You won't be tomorrow. You can't change your companion. You can't change them. Only God can do that. And even God's looking at some of them and saying, that's a big challenge even for me. That was a joke. That was a joke. It was a joke. Amen. Amen. Quit condemning them for the things that they're doing that you don't agree with. Saddling them with a get, guilt trip. Number four, make your spouse feel loved. I wish I could hear a loud amen. Make them feel loved. You say, how does that translate into relationships, on the job, friendships, When I say make your spouse feel loved, simple. Make them glad when you show up. When you walk in the room, make their faces light up. Make them happy to see you. Yeah, amen. Don't let them feel when it comes to your marriage that Jesus has come between you and them. He didn't come to separate you. He came to make your relationship stronger. That's right. You live out there in this world right now. Everything is broke. The world's broke. The weather's broke. Economy's broke. Supply chains are broke. Politics is broke. Do I need to go any further? Everything is broke. Everything. Amen. But in the church, God can make your marriage strong in spite of all of the challenges that are out there. (laughs) Marriage is falling apart right and left. It doesn't have to happen to you. And number five, ask God for wisdom and strength to live with your spouse. Wisdom, because sometimes some things and some decisions and some courses of action are not gonna work in your favor. Always tell people, you know, look and determine what your end goal is. That's this over here. This is where I wanna be. You're here right now. Instead of you just blowing up with emotion And telling somebody a piece of your... Giving them a piece of your mind. Telling somebody all... Ask yourself, how do I get from here to this? This is my end goal. And don't employ strategies that work against getting to here. Ask God for wisdom. And then ask Him to give you strength to live out your faith in such a way that, as I said, it's attractive. Number six, and I'm just about done. Listen to their objections. Objections. Why do I say that? It is because many times when you look at what's going on, they have an objection, a reason that they're not in church, that they're not serving God. I want you to understand this. For a man not to be saved is abnormal. That was not the state he was created to live in. You were created in the imago Dei, the image of God. You were created to be a child of God. To be a worshiper, everything else in life worships God. Only man chooses to be obstinate and rebel. Only man. Amen. So why is this person that you're living with not serving God? Well, it could be a number of things. And it's your responsibility to try to figure it out. And when they try to tell you, don't shut them down. Well, you're wrong. That's stupid to think that. No, that's guaranteed to backfire. No, instead, try to figure out and discern what the reasons are and get them to open up. Could be they were hurt in church years ago because there are no perfect churches. You know that, right? And if there was, you and I couldn't go to it because we're not perfect. So all of us unperfect people, let's leave right now. You get my point? but people will fixate on something like that. Church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, but they're closer to God than you are. They're at church this morning. Amen. Now don't say that to them either. That won't work real well. Amen, but you can think it. Amen. This is a hospital. That's what this is. Broken people go to church here. And we welcome them. Amen. We welcome you. Look, would you say, you know what? As soon as I get over COVID, I'm going to check into the hospital. Really? Tell you what, As soon as I get fixed of this heart condition, I'm going to go see my cardiologist. That's not what you do. Jesus said, they that are whole do not need a physician. It's those who are sick in the present tense. They need help. Amen. So yes, they're they're imperfect people in church. Amen. Imperfect preachers too. By the grace of God, I hope to never injure anybody. But the truth of the matter is I probably do. And it's not intentional. But you know something? There are churches out there where there there are pastors who will intentionally step on you, church members, That praise God, you're going to hell. Hallelujah, Jesus, amen. They're so glad they they act like they can't wait for you to, you feel the flames yet? Amen. (laughs) Listen to the objections of your spouse and then try to walk them through it. It could be some atheistic professor that thought he knew more than he really knew. Well, they've disproved that there was a God. They haven't either. They haven't proved any such thing. Well, man evolved. Show me the the missing link. We're still waiting. They've been waiting a long time, hadn't found him yet. It's not out there. You know, I don't even want to get into some of that stuff. What's their objection? Listen to them. Don't shut them down. And finally, pray for your spouse every day. Every day, pray for your companion. Amen. Pray for your unsaved children. Can I hear somebody say amen? Pray for your unsaved children. Don't give up on them. I'm going to tell a story, and I didn't even ask for permission, but but those that know the family know the story, so I... Uh, The people involved are incredibly good people. I started out by saying that just because somebody doesn't come to church doesn't mean that they're not wonderful. And I think of our own children's pastor here. Kathy Powell has served this church faithfully for years, raised her children here. They are workers in the children's ministry, and she has a gem of a husband by the name of Skip. And I love Skip. I've, I've loved him ever since I first met him. Skip used to uh, go to the, the old building, do work in the Sunday school rooms when we, we were worshiping there. He would show up anything you needed. You could call Skip. He'd show up. This, this, he was an amazing guy. Contractor, skillful with his hands. But he wouldn't come and serve the Lord. I don't even know what the, the issue was. And, and then he got covid ended up in the hospital and man it was touch and go it was like he was about that close to losing his life and god knocked on his door during that period of time and and i don't think he'd mind telling me telling you this he recommitted his life to christ and amen i am so glad he did and do you know what his wife and his children never stopped praying for him all during those years. They prayed, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And I prayed and others prayed. Because he was too good a man to let be lost. And he comes here now on Sunday morning. He slips out early because he still has some problems with his lungs. He slips out at the end of the service. But if you ever get to see him, you just tell him, Skip. Welcome home. And there you see the power of what happens when people stand in prayer for their companion. I want to honor those today. i preached way over. The Lord moved. I didn't get started until late. But I want to honor those today that are living in spiritually mismatched relationships. I love you. I want to see you strong. I want to see your marriage succeed. I want to see you fulfilled. I'm praying for you, that your companion will either give their heart to God if they're away from Christ or come back to God if they allowed their passion to grow cold. Or if your passion is stronger than theirs, that theirs will ignite. And that you will be matched with somebody who runs the race at the same pace you run the race. That you will be married to somebody just as fervently in love with God as you are. I pray that. Would you stand with me right now? Prayer counselors, please come. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Who here today needs Jesus and their life? Raise your hand right where you are. I need Christ. Pray for me, Pastor. God bless you and you. Keep raising them. You. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. I see those hands all over the building. Amen. God bless you. I see your hands. Is there a husband here that whose wife has been faithful to the Lord and and you're not serving God and now is the time for you to make a decision too? Or is there a wife whose husband has walked out this walk of faith alone and you need to give your heart to Jesus? I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person that raised their hands and even those at home that need Christ and others where you're dealing with right now people whose passion for god has grown less than fervent as it used to be not as strong as it once was and god i want you to save first of all those who need salvation and rekindle the spark and the flame of commitment in those who've allowed their commitment to fall into decline And stir them up, Lord. Let them be passionate about you. Let them know you. And the fullness that only comes from knowing you. We surrender our hearts and our lives to you now. Be Lord and Savior of our lives from this day forward and forevermore. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord an applause and at the same time, welcome everybody that just prayed that prayer if you prayed that prayer with us look on the screen you will see in just a moment you will see a number you can text or you can capture the QR code and you can let us know any of those three things you can text any of those three words or if you really want to go forward with your relationship with God do three other things get baptized if you've never been baptized number two be filled with the unfilling of the Holy Spirit. Number three, become a disciple. And they're going to put right up on the screen right now the word join. And if you will text to that number right there, you can join us in a daily devotional. And every day you can go to the foot of the cross together with 2,000 other families. And we study the scripture together. And you know what I want to do now? I want every family that would like for their family to be covered by the grace of God to come forward right now. Come. You want your family to be covered by the grace of God. Come. I want to pray for you. Move in close. There are a lot of folk behind you. What we're about to do right now might save you a lot of pain in a divorce court later on. Might save you a lot of heartache. We're gonna pray for families. Might save you a visit down to the jail to get your son or your daughter or rehab center. Come in close. remember the old saying a stitch in time saves nine better to pray now and wait till then all this day today I felt such a heaviness of the Holy Spirit not in a heaviness in the way of grief but a heaviness in the way of great passion it's what the prophets in the Old Testament called the burden of the word of the Lord I feel a burden for families. I feel a burden for single people. I feel a burden for young people that they will be in relationships that will last when they get grown. I feel a burden. God, would you touch our families today? Raise up a wall of fire around about every family. There are divisive spirits. There are forces at work that want to destroy. There are forces out there that want to bring pain, destruction. The enemy is a liar and the father of lies. He will tell people that the grass is greener at another place. He will tell them they can do things and get by that they can't do and get by at all. We'll tell them no one will know. We'll tell them serving God is not the solution, and it is. It is the solution. And I'm asking you to touch our families. Fight on their behalf. Today we fight. Can I have some intercessors pray right now? Because today we fight. We fight spiritually for our families. We fight for our sons. We fight for our daughters. We fight for our marriages. We fight for our young people. We fight for those who need to be covered by the grace of God if there's a family in this place contemplating divorce God I want you to put a stop to that bring healing bring recovery bring a restoration in that relationship restore love where trust has been broken restore trust where commitment has been violated restore commitment Where there needs to be forgiveness, give forgiveness. Oh, God. Oh, God, we need you. America is in trouble. The world is in trouble. We need you to save our families and raise them up and make them strong for God. Make them strong. Let our men be men of God. Call out of every man the priesthood that you created him to fulfill. Let him be a man of God, a man of prayer, a man of worship, a man of devotion. Let our mothers be women of God, devoted. Let our young people be that rising generation that is going to take the devil on the battlefield and defeat him for the name of Christ and establish the kingdom of God in his righteousness. Let our young people be mighty for God. Let them be strong. In this world that has gotten so weak doesn't teach the values that your kingdom was built upon or that the word of god teaches us to embrace let us not surrender that battle in the home let us stand and be unshaken we stand for righteousness i wish i could hear every dad say that we stand for righteousness come on dads we stand come on say it again we stand for righteousness We stand for God. We stand for God. Could I hear every mother say that? We stand for God. Come on, we stand for God. Could I hear the men and women say it together? We stand for God. We stand for family. We stand for family. We stand in defense of the home. We stand for the home. We stand in defense of our young people. I know that in church we come to talk to God, but if the devil's anywhere around, I wanted him to hear this. We're not going to give up our children. We're not going to give up our children. You can't have our kids. You cannot have our children. Can't have them. You're a liar. You're not going to take this family. You're not going to take my kids. You're not going to take my grandkids. You're a liar. You can't have our relationships.